Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. So this is week three of our summer series that we've called Crank Up the Joy. Because we believe what the Bible says about the importance of not only walking with the Lord, but walking in the joy of the Lord. If we as believers of Christ don't have his joy in our lives, we will be weakened, we will be discouraged, and we will, we will be ineffective in building the church, and we'll be ineffective in our commission to reach the lost for Christ. And coming out of COVID, we don't want that for you. We want you to be strong. We want you to be encouraged and full of joy as we move on from this because a church can only be as strong, sorry, can only be strong if the individual parts of its body are strong. So let's allow God to crank up the joy in our lives. So this morning's message is entitled, Don't Fake It. If you want discouragement to go down and joy to go up in your life, you must learn how to stop faking certain things in your life. We all do this sometimes. We pretend like we're someone we're not, or we pretend everything's fine when really we're hurting, or we we pretend we're hurting when we're not really in order to manipulate another person or a situation. And we come by this habit of faking honestly, as a result of sin entering the world. I want to go to Genesis chapter 1, right at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then we jump ahead to verse 31, and it says, God saw all that he made, and it was very good. So right off the bat, when mankind came onto the scene in this world, things were looking pretty good. As a matter of fact, according to God, it was very good. However, most of you would know how the next events unfolded with the devil showing up as a a serpent in the Garden of Eden and deceiving Eve into disobeying God and committing mankind's first sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 through 7 says this, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, up to the point that Adam and Eve had sinned, they had never felt shame, they had never felt guilt, and they had never felt the nakedness of being naked. They had never known what it felt like to want to hide, to want to pretend that they were something that they weren't. Up to this point, they were completely innocent. Now, since we were all born after sin entered and corrupted mankind, we have never experienced innocence on that level. But if you've ever had a toddler around for more than an hour, you usually find out pretty quick how much they love to lose their clothes. 
They just toddle around completely and unashamedly buck naked. You know what I'm talking about. Because they are living in a state of innocence that dissipates with time, knowledge, and experience. Eventually, they will begin to want to cover themselves up. But even they aren't completely innocent. We've got a three-year-old son right now, and he's in the process of kind of, you know, he's got the marker all over his face and his hands or whatever. It's like, Lincoln, did you draw on the wall? No. Even they're not innocent completely. Adam and Eve were completely innocent. So when they lost that, they went to the only thing they could, which, again, was to hide. And the whole scenario plays out pretty interesting, considering up to that point they had been one way, and now they were completely a different way, and they they thought that they could just hide it from God. Kind of like, what, all these fig leaves? Well, they're nothing. Well, Eve wanted me to dress a little sexier, so here we are. That's why I got the fig leaves on, God. Now, obviously, that's not how it actually went, in case you're wondering, but they did try to hide from him. But who can really hide from God? He knows everything about everything. He knows where you're hiding. He knows where I'm hiding. I came up with a comparison for what it... I don't know what it might have been like for God when he found them with fig leaves on. Is anybody here into Ninja Turtles? Okay. Has anybody here ever been into Ninja Turtles? Oh, okay. This is... Okay. Since there's so many of you, we're going to take it one step further. I want you to call out the name of your favorite turtle. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, this is probably the coolest congregation in North America. It's Raphael, though. But we'll get to that in a minute. Actually, you know what? We're going to get into it right now. Let's throw up a picture of Raphael. That's Raphael, everybody. He's the red one, right? He's probably the coolest of the Ninja Turtles because he's got like this mysterious, dark, tormented, angry personality that's really just a front for how insecure he is and how terrified he is of being vulnerable with the other turtles because he actually has so much love in his heart for them, but he doesn't know how to channel it properly. But that's besides the point. The Ninja Turtles dwell in the sewers of New York, and they want to keep their identities a secret as they fight bad guys, usually at night, protecting the innocent people of the city. They don't think the people of New York would understand them or they'd be afraid of them, so this is what Raphael looks like normally, but every now and then, he likes to go for a little stroll, or they call it topside, to dwell amongst us human beings. So he wants to hide in plain sight. Raphael isn't the dumb Ninja Turtle, that would be Michelangelo. (laughs) You're laughing because you agree with me, you know it's true. So Raphael wears a disguise. We won't suspect a thing. But that's kind of like what came to me, my comparison of what it's like to try and hide from God. You're obviously still a Ninja Turtle. The truth is, when we fake it, 
God is actually unable to bless us to the extent that he wants to. Jesus said to his disciples, when you commit to spiritual disciplines such as prayer, fasting, and giving, don't make a big show of it. Otherwise, the attention you get from people will be all the rewards you will ever receive. You'll miss out on God's reward. And I'm not only talking about faking it just with God and hiding from God, but also with people. And that's basically what the world expects of us human beings. You strive to get yourself into a position where you look like you're living your best life. You look rich, you look powerful, popular or successful, whatever it might be. It's like looking at someone's social media account. Everything's super cool and amazing all the time, right? We never see the ugly side. We only allow others to see what we want them to. But that's not where true intimacy with God and with other people is cultivated. Because it's not honest. And love cannot be fully experienced where there is dishonesty. So I want to share with you this morning a couple of reasons why faking it is actually holding you back from living the life of joy that God actually wants for you. And this being the first, the first reason. Faking it puts a ceiling on your relationships. You can't go past, like, like a cap, you can't go past a certain point. Whether you're pretending you've got everything together, or you're pretending that you're someone you're not, or you're pretending like nothing's wrong. Like you're never hurt, or you're never feeling sick, everything's just fine. You can only get so far that way. Because you know what? Sometimes life can be really hard. Sometimes life can really hurt. Sometimes we can make some really bad decisions that can inflict some serious damage in our lives and the lives of those around us. And we need to be able to be honest about this stuff because we weren't meant to face these things on our own. I'm so grateful for my wife Kelly for so many reasons, but one that comes to mind just for this morning is that I can be really really stubborn when it comes to seeing a doctor. I've almost had to be on what appeared to be my deathbed in my mind before I'll go. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm dying, I better go. (laughs) To make a long story short, I held off getting a proper diagnosis for several years for a condition that I was pretty sure I already had, I, I already knew, but... Uh, it's, a, it's a lifelong condition that can't actually be cured, but it can be treated and maintained. And I just held off going until finally she had to like, get in my face and be really blunt about it. She had kind of been dropping hints like, hey, you should maybe go see the doctor. I'm like, yeah, totally. <laughs> she got in my face, she got really blunt about it. And I know that the main reason she confronted me is because she simply loves me and wants me to thrive but my condition was really affecting my relationship with her and my kids because it would cause me to be very short-tempered and agitated. So they were like constantly always on edge. I just wanted to keep living life like everything was fine, but the truth was it was having a really negative effect on my family. And I'm so glad she confronted me on it because 
Now we all have a much better understanding of this condition and we're on track to regular maintenance, which means a healthier, happier home for my wife and kids. Faking it didn't work for me. And it took the love and support of my wife to help me to be honest about it. And I think that this will be, uh, always be one of my favorite verses. It's Ecclesiastes 4.12. So it says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Faking it puts a ceiling on our relationships. It keeps others at an arm's length so that you can either be overpowered by whatever's going on, or you're unable to help others when they need you. The second thing that faking does, <clears throat> faking it does is it robs you of, of your joy by exhausting you. It exhausts you. Faking it is tiring. Listen to what King David had to say about it when he was walking around with unconfessed sin in his life. But he pretended like everything was just fine. Psalm 32, verse 3 through 5, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Boom. He quit faking it. And his strength was restored to him. It actually goes on into a real rejoicing in the following text of that chapter. And I don't know if you've ever heard anyone who's exhausted and at the end of their rope rejoicing in anything. So it's obvious that it was a real thing that happened. His strength came back to him because God took the burden of unconfessed sin off of him. So he was filled with real joy. Now, in the interest of time, those were just two quick examples of why faking it isn't worth it. It's a fairly unexhaustive list of cons, but faking it will definitely put a ceiling on your relationships. It will sap you of your strength and energy. But now I want to flip it around to how we get to, to what we get to experience when we decide to be real with God and others. When you stop faking it, one of the things is you're able to love deeper. God and others. God and others. I love our children's pastor, Angela's little catchphrase that she would use. Did any of you guys ever tune into Kids Corner when everything was kind of all online with your kids? She had a little catchphrase at the end that I just loved. and She'd end each episode with, Remember kids, love God and love. Starts with a P. People, love people. Every single episode, I loved it. This is what we're here for. Now, Pastor Bob reminded us last week that the first and most important thing that we're created for is to let God love us. Why? So that we can love him back and love others. And I mean really love others, not just, oh yeah, I love you, I love you. Really act on that love. But first we have to be real about ourselves and accept that God wants us good, bad, and ugly. 
Not once you've got everything together, not once you've put on some nice Sunday clothes or went and got a haircut or a shave. He wants you right now, warts and all. If you can accept that, then you'll be able to join him on a journey of learning how to love him and others, which I promise you will be the most meaningful and fulfilling path that your feet could walk on in this life. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what does it mean to be purified of unrighteousness? It means you become righteous. You can now begin the journey and the good work that Jesus has planned for you. Being righteous has nothing to do with what you do, but it has everything to do with who you are. And once you become a Christian, which means you've received the spirit of Jesus by faith to come into your heart, the Bible tells us you're a brand new creation. You are born again into his family. You become a child of God. You become his son or daughter, which also comes with a new identity, and that identity is servant. I used to have this kind of image in my head when I first became a, a Christian, whenever I'd hear the word servant, or you need to serve others, you need to, you know, have like a butler, got a towel on his arm and a drink tray, and he's just kind of waiting on people. <clears throat> that can't be further from what, what Jesus is talking about when he wants us to be a servant. Being a servant and doing acts of service are two different things. Anyone can do an act of service. Only people who have quit faking their way through life and received the truth about themselves and about God can actually be a servant. They can truly love others. So I want to finish this morning with a few points on being a Christian servant. The first point is this. You were created to serve God. And by the way, when I say serve God, what I mean by that is you serve other people. That's how you serve God. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you have a gift, talent, or skill that you can use to make someone else's life better? Even just encouraging somebody a word of encouragement, that's serving somebody. That's making someone's life better. That's how you love people and love God. He made you just the way you are so that you can carry these acts of service out that he had planned for you before you, you were even born. The next point I'd like to bring up about serving is you were saved to serve God. Paul says this to Tim Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. It is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work, not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began to show his love and kindness to us through Christ. Jesus paid for you with his blood so that you could do his holy work. You're not saved by service. You're saved for service. The next point on service is you, you are called to serve. Many people hear 
the term, oh, I was called or I'm, I'm being called, they think it is like to become a missionary or a pastor or a priest or something like that. Now, obviously, those roles exist, but every single Christian is called to serve no matter what your place in life or your job or career is. You are called to be a full-time Christian first. A Christian servant sees needs wherever he or she is and does whatever he or she can to help. Whether you're at home or at work or the grocery store, out on the street or right here in church. And this is the cool part about it. God will never call you to something and then not equip you to do it. You might feel unequipped. You might feel irrelevant or too small or whatever. It's not about you. God will equip you. He'll be with you every step of the way. You see a need, you better believe he's going to be walking with you, giving you the tools you need. And I've actually learned how to be a better servant by rubbing shoulders with some of you sitting in this room. Because you understand your calling. I've seen sacrifice in time, energy, money, and literal blood, sweat, and tears from many of you. Because you aren't faking it. You've allowed God to mold your heart into that of a servant. And if I were to point you out, you'd probably be really uncomfortable because you don't serve to elevate yourselves. You serve to elevate others and God. The last point about being a servant I want to bring up this morning is you are commanded to serve. You are commanded to serve God. Jesus couldn't be much more clear about this when he said in Matthew 20, verse 28, your attitude must be like my own, for I, the Messiah, he's the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he's God Almighty in the flesh. But he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. Serving for the Christian is not an option. It's not meant to be something you track onto your, or you tack onto your schedule if you have time at the end of the week. It's the heart of the Christian faith because it's the heart of Jesus. It's, it's now shifted from what we can do, or at least look like we can do, to who we really are. And what we do will come out of that. You won't find a better life than that. And this kind of thing, it might not make sense to sort of the humanity side of us because the human side of us is broken and so limited and we're so self-focused. But a life with Jesus and a life of service is worth pursuing at any and all cost. Even if it means that you and I need to stop faking it and pretending we've got it all together or hiding our shortcomings. Because then we're able to become who he designed us to be. Then he's able to truly give us strength. The Bible says if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us. So where do you need to stop faking it? Are you hiding some unconfessed sin from God? Are you pretending to be greater than you are to look good in front of people? 
Are you pretending like you're not in any pain? That interaction that Jesus had with Mary is the beginning point of living a life filled with joy. And just like he did with her, he would very much like to provide that beginning point for you as well, if you'll allow him to. But first, you must let go of what you're hiding. You must choose to embrace the real you that Jesus created you to be. And many of us, just like Mary, we've walked with Jesus for a while. And when we do that, it can be kind of frustrating or discouraging or disappointing when we choose to go back and go back and go back. But the truth is, every single time we bring it back to him like Mary did, that's his reaction. I forgive you. Let's start over. Let's stand together. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and I want to pray. First off, if there's anybody here who has never received Jesus Christ to be their personal Lord and Savior, the first step in a journey with Jesus is to stop faking it, is to accept the truth about your position with him. And that truth is that you're a sinner, that you fall short. Anybody in this room who is a Christian has come to that point where we had to accept that. So you're not alone. But if you want to receive Jesus and his grace and his gift of mercy, then you can pray along quietly in your heart something like this. Okay, Jesus... I'm ready to stop faking it. I'm ready to accept my position with you. Lord, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments and I've resisted who you've called me to be. I'm not going to do that anymore. Today I'm choosing to admit that I need you. Today I'm confessing that you are Lord and Savior of the world. Would you come into my heart? Come into my life. Cleanse me of my sins. By faith, I'm choosing to believe that you died for me on a cross and that you rose again so that now I can live for you, live with you in eternity and for you while I'm here on this earth. Thank you for choosing me and for calling me. I'm going to try my best to be honest about the things that I've been hiding. Help me to do that. Give me the courage and the strength to do so. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you received Jesus for the first time as your personal Lord and Savior, we want you to fill out a communication card that would be in your bulletin. You can go ahead and do that because we want to get in touch with you to sort of help you with your next steps in your, in your walk with God. But let's pray together, the rest of us here, Lord. We're all a bunch of Adam and Eves at times. It's so easy to get sucked into looking good in front of people or pretending to be someone that we're not. Lord, all we need is you. You are enough. 
So God, I pray that you drive deep into our hearts this morning. The areas, you know, sometimes we even deceive ourselves. Show us the areas, Lord, where we've been faking it. We haven't been genuine. We haven't been real. We haven't been honest. God, give us, again, the strength and courage we need to confess that, to get that right with whomever we might need to, and especially with you. Help us to start anew today so that, God, we can walk and experience the joy and the strength that comes with the joy of the Lord because that's how we're going to build this church and how we're going to build into your kingdom. We thank you that you love us anyway, good, bad, and ugly. We thank you that we don't have to hide from you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.